Psychology Month is at an end, and this is our final podcast episode of this truncated February-specific season. I'm Eric Bowman, the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and I love my job. I love getting to meet the most interesting people, learning about the workings of the human mind, the importance of mental health, science, collaboration, knowledge mobilization. But I have to say this month was trying. And no matter how many incredible people I spoke with and how many remarkable brains I got to pick, there was no getting away from the underlying theme. This pandemic and the resultant lockdowns have cut a path of destruction across the entire world. Mental health problems, substance use problems, domestic violence, and more. And above all of that, we're talking about the deaths of two and a half million people. It's overwhelming, it's terrifying, and it's deeply, deeply sad. So today, we're going to close out this podcast season on as happy a note as possible. I asked most of the participants we profiled for Psychology Month to share with me their silver lining. Something either personal or professional that they saw that was good and that wouldn't have happened were it not for the pandemic. Today, we're going to hear some of those happy stories. Welcome to Mindful. Dr. Andrew Ryder is an associate professor in the psychology department at Concordia University and an expert in culture as it pertains to psychology and vice versa. When we spoke, he talked extensively about the incredible scientific cooperation brought about by COVID. Um, If I had to put my name on one thing, it would be realizing that across hundreds of universities, dozens of countries, many languages, many disciplines from the, um, like what I'm doing is sort of at one end and the virologists and geneticists and vaccine developers are pretty far down at the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, The mental health practitioners, the nurses, all all these people working over months on, you know, and, and they have to do this work under pandemic conditions. They have to work in labs that themselves could cause a super spreader event, right? In right. very, very hard condition. Early on, the, th- the disease itself was, <clears throat> our understanding was like morphing by the day. I mean, it's actually an amazing human accomplishment that um, we are already talking about um, how to get it under control. We have all the jitters about what if it mutates again and what have we lost? And that's all true, it's been, it's been terrible. But you know, if the vaccine is even half effective, it will be like a miracle of science that we moved that quickly. Yeah. And um, I hope that we are able to learn from that. I hope we're able to learn from what happened and maybe where the behavioral scientists could be really useful is how do we keep our attention on this not happening again, even as we hit 2025 and hopefully this is behind us. It's very hard for people to sort of keep one eye on that. Anyways, it's stressful. Right. That could be a major future contribution um, that I hope as a research community we'd be able to make. Chelsea Moran is a PhD student in clinical psychology at the University of Calgary, whose work centers around adherence to good health behaviors. She says the hospital where she's doing her placement and the university where she's doing her grad work have both been excellent during this trying time. 
So I see all of my, my clients from my practicum either over the phone or on Zoom. Um, so my placement right now is, is at a hospital. I started in a hospital in Calgary. I started in September and I have yet to set foot in that hospital, which is really, which is really interesting. Um, my clinical supervisor, I met her once kind of in September at a, at a meet and greet when things weren't as bad COVID wise here in Alberta. But aside from that, I also haven't really interacted with her in person. So everything has been over Zoom. Uh, to be honest, I was quite another thing that was surprising to me about, um, about the pandemic and how quickly things changed was how quickly our field, psychology, was able to pivot to online services and, and, and mostly remote delivery of therapy when beforehand it was more so of an exception to the rule to see people online or even over the phone. It was really this emphasis on in that in-person connection um, which is so important to therapy, of course, um, but seeing that that can sometimes be adequately replicated over technology, over Zoom, over the phone sometimes, I think has been a really interesting experience as a trainee anyway. Um, and we've also been very fortunate at the University of Calgary that our um, the administration has been very um, proactive in trying to make sure that our everything is pivoting online and that we're still able to get the hours and get the training that that we need in order to kind of move on with our careers. Dr. Gabrielle Page is an assistant professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and Pain Medicine at the Université de Montréal. She sees clients who are in chronic pain and says the silver lining for her is that her clients might benefit more than most from being able to access care virtually. I think the virtual care aspect for me, that will really be something that we will continue the clinic. Like we would never have moved. Well, not never, but it wasn't on the radar at all to offer virtual group psychotherapy for chronic pain or for the psychologist to have virtual appointments. Um, so I think that shift happened very quickly. And so we need to reflect, making sure that we're not enhancing some of the uh, healthcare disparities, for example, in people who don't have access, but in populations like individuals with chronic pain. In Quebec, the, the province is divided in four territories and each of the four uh, universities uh, with faculty of medicine have a piece of that territory. So for us, uh, we cover uh, people who live six, seven, eight hours away from the center. So for them now being able to have weekly session with the psychologist, you know, it's something that is very precious. And for others who even 30 or 40 minutes in a car driving in the hostel brings their pain level from a three to an eight, you know, coming like not having to come in on some days uh, could be helpful as well. So I think there needs to be a collective reflection on how we're going to keep this forward because the transition happens so fast. Uh, so I, I think there's some reflections that need to be done, but it's it's a door that opened, um, that wouldn't have opened as fast if it had not been for the pandemic. Dr. Helen Ofasu runs IO Advisory in Ottawa, where she helps organizations and businesses tackle structural racism and promote equity, diversity, and inclusion. One of the silver linings of the pandemic, she says, is that unsung heroes are suddenly becoming sung heroes, for lack of a better expression. That's the, the silver lining is that there are certain people who pre-pandemic, they were super um, productive and making amazing contributions at work. But because they weren't bragging and because they weren't 
charismatic or getting the attention of their bosses, they were kind of overlooked. But now when everyone's at home, it's easier to track who is contributing stuff, who is sending in work product. So all the doers are kind of getting their, their, their chance to shine. Dr. Ian Nicholson is the manager for psychology and audiology at the London Health Sciences Center and a former president of the CPA. His hospital, as did many others, had to pivot to a different kind of care very quickly, and he says that has produced some unexpectedly good results. I think the move towards uh, virtual care is something that Many, many patients find very positive the capacity that they're able to receive care from their home rather than having to uh, work to uh, get themselves or to get their children or their family over to the hospital, go through the hospital system here, uh, parking, the, uh, all of that in order to get to the hospital, to sit in a waiting room to come to your appointment. To know that you can do it from home is a huge advantage uh, for uh, a number of patients. It's challenging for other patients who don't have easy access to the technology, but or to a private place to be able to uh, receive care. But for a lot of patients, it's certainly uh, very positive. And I think that's something that's going to be a part of how we provide care uh, for the future. And this has really pushed us to advance in that area that's an advantage for many of our patients. I'm a little distracted right now because over there in the corner, my dog is fighting his food as he tends to do. And the silver lining for him in the pandemic is that he's been allowed to get fat with uh, frightening uh, quickness. Uh, Dr. Joanna Pozzullo is the world's foremost expert in child eyewitness identification in a criminal context and the chair of the psychology department at Carleton University. She and her department launched an online platform called MeWorth during the pandemic, but her silver lining is a little more personal uh, and frightening. I, I thought of this question um, when you had sent it to me. And, you know, for me personally, I think being able to spend a bit more time on, on things that I really enjoy, you know, I really like to bake and I really like to, you know, read non-academic books and, you know, murder mysteries. I love murder mysteries. And so, you know, being able to give yourself permission to actually engage in the activities that you enjoy that are non-work related, that are just for you, um, to me has been my silver lining because, you know, so often there's so much guilt around, okay, if I'm, if I'm not working, then I need to do something for the family or I need, you know, there's, there's other, you, there's always things that you need to do for other people. Um, and I, and I think for me, it has been able to actually be able to carve out some time where I'm doing things that I really like for me. And so that's my positive thing. And I really hope that I, you know, even when all this is over, that I still continue to read my murder mysteries and make my muffins and, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, take, take time out every day just to, you know, even if it's, you know, half an hour or an hour where you're engaged in something that you really enjoy. And it's really just for you, not for anybody else necessarily. 
Yeah. Um, so that's my my thing that I um, I really kind of came back to, you know, things that I enjoy. I mean, I, you know, there's nothing more. I, I love sitting down with a good book and losing myself for that hour. And and it's okay to do that. You can do that and you should do that. Yeah. So I wanted, I want to keep doing that. I, I must have gone through, I can't tell you the number of books I have read in the past few months. I think I've read more non-academic books in the few in the past few months than I have read in probably 10 years. Huh. And and it's and it's great. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it refreshes me. And I think it's something that people need to do as well as you know, I'm a, I'm a crazy muffin lady. I'll, I'll make muffins at all hours of the of, of the evening and try new new recipes. And you know, I I'm getting kind of uh, creative and and what sort of things I should put in the muffins. And so that's that's been that's been pretty good. Nice. Yeah, I've uh, like I've always loved cooking. So now uh, it's a ritual where you know our son will come down and we'll cook. And all right, this is what we're making for dinner tonight. And, you know, let's take that time in the kitchen to do it. I am curious, though. All right. You have spent a career in the psychology of criminal justice and so on. When you read a murder mystery, do you read it and go, "Eh, somebody wouldn't actually do that? That's not what that's not what that person would have done. Yeah, Yeah, I do. I do. There are there are definitely times. I just uh, actually I finished a book uh, a couple of weeks back where I you know I was saying to myself that very thing I was like that's not how I would do it you know I and sort of picking away things of uh, things that didn't didn't quite line up so uh, yes and I, I was talking to my husband about um, in one particular book uh, the husband ended up killing the wife. Right. Um, and, and got away with it, uh, or at least initially got away with it. And, and I, then I was talking, you know, I was talking to David and I said, you know, well, I would have done it this way. And, and I think, you know, and, and he's kind of looking at me going, uh, is there anything I need to worry about here? And because you just, you know, you just sort of started thinking it through how you could get away with murder. Right. Uh, so and, you're going to come out of here, either uh, a contestant on the Great British Bake Off or a super murderer as well. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure which one. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be uh, more on the, the Great Bake Off. But uh, it, it really, uh, you do, I, I think, uh, yeah, some of the training that, that maybe I have or some of the education I have, you, you do start to... And because I love the murder mysteries, you really start to sort of say, you could do that better. Dr. Kush Amaria is the clinical director at Mind Beacon, and they were creating online content for years before the pandemic hit. And in some ways that put them ahead of the curve come March, 2020, but in others, not so much. You know, despite that we were able to always provide virtual services um, for in, in both the live domain as well as our therapist guided program, um, you know, we we still weren't really as uh, automated as you think it might be, and, and and that's actually a good thing in some ways, right? Like there are people behind all of what we provide, and people take time and energy, um, and they have they need breaks and all of these things. So I think so. The surprising piece of all of this is. Um, 
you know, it's not, it's not a robot at the other end or anything like that. And real people answering your calls, putting you in with specific psychologists and things like that in a sense. So despite how virtual and digital we might go as a company or just even as a community, um, we're talking about people at the end of the day, right? People with real lives and real emotions and delivery by real psychologists who are real people. And so um, caring for each other, I think has been a really important piece of this and ensuring that as a whole, and I, and I not to dismiss like what our, our programmers and our account executives are doing, but the, the clinical care, the therapy part of what we do, um, when you do it at the volume that I think that you do when it's virtual, it is different. Um, and we don't know how it's different, but it feels different. And so then having to figure out how to support each other in that. Sometimes it's like the tools aren't as available. So let's make those tools more available for you. Or other times it's not, it's like, I'm not getting that break in the coffee room to just go, oh, that was so hard. Or, oh, that was so great. Um, and so trying to replicate, especially for me as a leader, trying to replicate those accolades and those conversations and, even just like the reminder that we're in it together, trying to get through this as a team, even though we do individual work, so much of what we do as psychologists, individual, individual, nobody gets to see what goes on behind that closed door. Mm. Um, but being able to take that and then, then being able to sort of say, okay, let's figure out how we keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to stop it, but how do we make sure we can sustain it, right? Yeah. And grow in that way. So yeah, it's been really interesting that way because there's something about like like I said, we've always been doing a little bit of virtual here and there, and a little bit, obviously the digital. But when it's the only thing you do, there is the sense of what you might kind of miss out on. And maybe it's sitting in the you know comfier office chair versus my Ikea chair here, or maybe it's the view from my office or whatever it is that you might miss, the walk, all of those things, like accepting that we're missing those things, but also not not just focusing on what we're missing and thinking about what we can add in and what we have control over. So yeah, still work to be done. We can still do it better. That's that's the bottom line. You know, we're I said this just on my last call that we've always provided virtual services and we anticipate regardless of what happens with lockdowns and this and that, that virtual isn't going anywhere. We're just going to figure out how to keep doing it better, whether it's, right. and some of that is just reducing the burden on the client, getting them to understand, having them better access to psychologists, whatever it might be, but just figure out how we can do that better because it's not going away. We all know that, right? It's not going away. Dr. Vina Gogari is the graduate chair of the clinical psychology program at the university of Toronto and the editor of the journal, Canadian Psychology. What has the transition to doing things mostly online been like for her? Yeah, I mean, I would say like at first, like the uncertainty was really difficult because it was like, you know, when the pandemic first started, like I live in Toronto, which is, you know, a huge city. And so you're going to have, you know, a large number of cases. It's like, you know, a state of emergency is declared, but it's like, oh, well, Re rethink about it after a month and then after a month it's like oh the state of emergency is still present you know now we've gotten used to it but at the time like there was a time I thought like three four months and we will have weathered the COVID pandemic <laughs> but then as soon as like you know it seemed like that is not the picture in terms of you know how long this pandemic is going to last like it, I did end up with similar to a lot of people with feelings of like anxiety and low mood because you have to almost give up on some of your plans and expectations you know and right. some things were helpful to clarify <laughs> like I had these big conferences planned and they were going to also be like my vacation so I was going to go to Banff and spend some time in a cottage with some of my friends. I was actually going to go to um, Vienna for a conference and do a couple of talks, but um, I was also going to go explore like the nearby area. 
And so at first that was really disappointing that I felt this loss of these things that I had been excited about, you know, because you work hard and then you're like, there's my break and my break disappeared and my workload increased like threefold in all my jobs. But then as time went on, I just realized the things I really missed were seeing my friends, my family, you know, and now that the pandemic's gone on for a long time, I don't really miss the things like international travel. I feel like they're like perks, but the things that I do miss in my life is if I could see my family more, see my friends more. And so that was kind of nice as clarifying, like some of these things were extra perks, but they were not necessary. And so I think as soon as I you know, sort of started giving up on some of my expectations, you know, and being realistic that, you know what, these feelings of anxiety and low mood, they're pretty typical when you're isolated because of COVID and, you know, there's all these things happening in the world and, you know, how we set up our life wasn't to deal with them. It became easier to deal with them and like seeking out connections by talking to other people made you realize even if you felt alone, you weren't quite alone and that this journey we were in together. Cause I don't know, as an academic and the way we structure our lives, we can often have very much flexibility even though we work hard, but here we are again with, oh, I don't have this control. I can't plan my way out of this. My usual tools don't work. And so, yeah, it was just a process of adapting to it. But I do feel like just getting to know myself and my priorities, I did grow in that. Um, kind of dimension. And I feel more grateful for the smaller things. Like, you know, when we were just able to, again, go sit on patios, it just felt like such a treat. And we just enjoyed like being outside on a patio, which normally you just take for granted, but I really um, enjoyed that. I personally had like some um, interaction with the healthcare system because I had a kidney stone for five months. And so I was very grateful to all the people who were still doing, you know, ultrasounds and CTs and, you know, keeping the hospitals clean for you. And, you know, they were like, they were just so kind, you know, if you, when I went to merge or other things, when you were in pain, even though they themselves are dealing with all these things, I was like touched by like their professionalism and they're like, kindness and trying to help you, but also seeing the burden on the healthcare system, like what happened when the kidney stone clinic was closed, there's like an onslaught of people and like we all have to get in and like, you know, you have to triage people by their, like their different um, conditions and stuff. And so like, it was a very eye-opening kind of an experience, you know, what the, what the healthcare workers go through and like how, like I felt like they were just tremendously kind to me, even though they must be in a very difficult situation themselves. And so that gave me an appreciation of just good health. You know? yeah. Like I was just like not being in pain and like having a good system and network around you. I was sort of grateful for that. So yeah, I think COVID plus a kidney stone, like, you know, made me grateful for like the smaller things. Wise words from Dr. Gagari. Let's all be grateful for the smaller things. I, for one, am going to be grateful that in this past year, I have not had a kidney stone. We've come to the end of this episode of Mindful. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for following along with Psychology Month 2021. My name is Eric Bullman. I'm the communications person at the CPA and the scheduler, writer, editor, producer, and host of Mindful. Our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. 
See you for our next series starting after I take a good, long, post-psychology month break.